Welcome to the 33rd episode of Metaco Talks. Today, we're speaking with the one and only Nitin Gaur, Managing Director at State Street Digital, where he leads digital asset and technology design with aspirations to transition part of the company's financial market infrastructure and its clients to the new digital economy. In his previous role, Nitin served as the founder and director of IBM Digital Asset Labs, committed to devising industry standards, use cases, and working towards making blockchain for enterprise a reality. In parallel, Nitin has served as a CTO of IBM Worldwire, a cross-border payment solution utilizing digital assets. Nitin also founded IBM Blockchain Labs and led the effort to establish to in establishing blockchain practice for the enterprise. An impressive resume. Nitin, welcome to Metaco Talks. Hey, Shamas. Thanks again for the invitation and really glad to be here. And again, I'm humbled by, by the introduction. So thank you again for that. No, thank Great having you. Why don't we just dive right in? So, yeah. I mean, we touched a little bit on the background, but uh, tell us about your background in digital assets at IBM and now at State Street. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think the last decade has been interesting. Uh, you know, while founding the blockchain labs and digital asset labs, as you mentioned, I've strived to maintain a balance between uh, market trends, the readiness for the enterprise, organizational aspirations, and a sound product market fit. Which I think, as you can understand, POCs has a has you know we've done umpteen number of POCs. They have enormous amount of potential, but they don't go anywhere. Uh, and while the organizations may want to take a you know leap, and so I've tried to attempt it to achieve that balance with one, <laughs> a grounded perspective, and balance that with enormous amount of research and technology acumen. Right at the end of the day, I I've always said this that technology is the product product is the technology. And I will say this, and I've made this as a badge of honor, that I've failed in some pursuits and succeeded in some. I think the learning has been immense in the past decade. Um, we built this business and industry, and I think we've come a long way since 2012, 2013, which is when how I got into it. And I think I'm still learning. And the industry has a long way to go, which, we, which we'll discuss some of it on this call. Uh, and also, I think that I recently joined Straight Street, as you mentioned, and one of the objectives that I'm trying to do with leading the digital asset and technology design is transition the part of sort of our industry's financial market infrastructure and our clients into a new digital economy. And we'll discuss what that means in a few. So really glad to be here and love to share some of that perspectives uh, on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. And before we get into that, I mean, just that transition, <laughs> I think is super interesting going from one of the leading tech firms in the market that's been around for um, you know, I can't remember 100 plus years. You move into another That's firm in the financial space that's been around in a similar sort of period. Yeah, give you a different perspective on the industry. Uh, I do, and I think it's interesting because IBM again, a uh, tech heavyweight, 100, 115 plus years uh, in the industry, has seen the transformation of the existing financial system that we built. So if you look at uh, all the messaging systems, all the payment systems, all the mainframes, such as core banking and core accounting systems, that comes from our legacy, which is IBM's legacy. And what's interesting is as we transform that, I see myself in the middle of the fact that I spent the large part of the first 15, 20 years at IBM in, in solving issues of digitization of those platforms. And now we are looking into tokenization of those platforms. And you're sort of in the crossfires of, of that ecosystem to having been witness to say what problems we are solving. And suddenly now you throw a wrench to say, ah, you know, we have blockchain coming in now. So how do how do those those two systems coexist? Which I think has been super interesting, and that was my messaging to uh, to IBM when I was there. Is that it's our legacy, and we got to preserve it from technology perspective. And coming into Straight Street to me is again a, a, a breath of fresh air in terms of again the leadership, the vision, but also a focus, a pragmatic focus on what does that the shift from 
digitization, tokenization, and what does it mean for the industry? Because at the end of the day, we are back office and middle office sort of processing function for the entire industry. And so I think there's a massive opportunity, but it has to be sprinkled with pragmatism and grounded perspective, as I mentioned before. Well, I think that probably give you great insights on, you know, where, where do you think we are in that? You mentioned the, the path to digitization now kind of swinging over to the path to tokenization. Yeah. Where, where are we there yet? And, you know, what do you think the prerequisites are to get that in place? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, open banking, open API, sorry, et cetera. I mean, where, where do you think we're on? Yeah. So one thing I think that the industry has, has already been the path. I think in the past, I would say seven to eight years, we've been this path of massive digitization, to digitize the modern aging financial system. So again, the things that were spreadsheet driven, we went to open banking, PSD2, SCA, all these initiatives led to sort of, you know, ensure that digitization is smooth. There's minimal disruption because at the end of the day, the idea was to bring the financial systems and move the asset and payment systems that has been existed for quite some time. That again, as an IBM, we helped build uh, into digital era and keep up with the digital commerce and digital delivery of services, right? Again, dot com the digital commerce and suddenly mobile commerce. And it has been a massive velocity and an expectation have changed from the industry. So the question that I oftentimes ask myself is how does financial institutions manage these two drastically different models in tandem, right? Not only they had a challenge in saying, I need to modernize my existing sort of a complex system that I have and transform that with a digital, you know, with a disruptive twist. And for one hand, the digitalization effort, effort which, by the way, was still based on the traditional ledger-based model. So you still had the core banking system you had. And you, suddenly now we had to bring all these middleware systems and we had to bring all this, you know, verification of these mobile, you know, mobile application, uh, you know, as, as a front end of this. And suddenly now with, with the advent of DLT and blockchain and OAS tokenization, uh, the token-based model, which challenges and negates the current digitization efforts, right? The whole element is the fact that you know, you're suddenly flattening the processing and the ledgering infrastructure from a transaction processing perspective, which today is a sort of batch relay system that that go into the you know in, into a, into how we design the system. So the question that I have asked myself is how do financial institutions manage the delicate balance in which the two worlds can coexist and provide a seamless and singular experience, which is enormously hard. And so, how does a financial institution manage the delicate balance? Uh, and maintain that singular experience is a, is a complicated one, right? An adequate thought needs to be given to the operational structure that, I, in my opinion, I think encompasses a complexity of existing structures, existing systems, encapsulate that existing, you know, the growth of where the industry is heading into the digital asset ecosystem. And I think that, I will say this, Thomas, that I think it presents both a monumental operational challenge and a massive opportunity of landscape that, that you know, that allows an enterprise like ours uh, to embark on this new business model, right? Again, simple things like the fact that, you know, uh, things may take a day or two, which uh, for reconciliation, for example, things may take a day or two to resolve a problem, whether it's a dispute or whether it's, which in digital asset world, it's eternity. <laughs> things can change a lot, lot in two days. And so how do we deal with the elements of transaction finality um, and removing some of the elements? So I think that is to me, the, the path going forward and figuring out the coexistence and figuring out as to how do we maintain that without risking the existing system because the world is running on those existing systems. Well, it's, it's great context because I think, you know, we often talk about the market going through certain, certain phases, how we've been through this kind of fintech. I mean, there's been so much innovation in the digital asset space in the last dozen years and it's moved at a lightning's pace. And now we've obviously had a lot of events in the last, in the last few months. 
Um, and uh, we also at the same time, we've seen the banks emerge in this space as potentially, uh, and, and, and it presents potentially a huge opportunity for incumbents for probably precisely the reasons you're talking about, basically, because of this, this sound approach. So you, you had a great article about uh, in Cointelegraph, we talked about the issues of digital asset yeah. market, the market infrastructure. And I think you specifically touched on, you know, <clears throat> governance, internal controls, risk management principles, which seem to have been a little bit lacking in the last, uh, some of the headlines we've seen in the last few months. I, I would put that in context. Of what <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny, Shamas, I've, I've labeled that as uh, the recent failures and ripple effect uh, as contagion of incompetence, right? And this, <laughs> the sea centralized entities with opaque, and I might add, yeah. ill-governed projects claiming to ride the decentralized and transparent market ethos of blockchain and DLT. And it's interesting, right? Because uh, we have talked about this a lot in, in my articles and in, in, in the entire crypto sphere, where the stable coin becomes a primary element of liquidity into the system and impact of global macro and overall quantitative tightening that we have seen in the past, basically boils down to liquidity or lack of and over leveraged pools, sort of circular trading that actually happened between the actors in that ecosystem um, sort of, you know, had a domino effect on the connected parties, right? And which prompted me to, to look deeper into crypto market structure or lack of it, right? Essentially, right? And in the spirit of any crisis not going waste, I see this as an opportunity to learn from failures and build upon successes. And while these projects are failing, innovation continues. I think if you look at some of the projects in the space in terms of decentralized exchanges and lending protocols, where, where you know were sound and adhered to their protocols, right? And they were not aware of the bank bankruptcy protection. Let's say what Celsius went through and any exogenous impact, which I thought was brilliant, because if you re recall in the recent, some of these projects were prioritizing paying down the protocol because then they could unlock the assets that were locked into it, which I think provides to me that's a hope. That's that's a type of structure we can look into, which provides some element of not just efficiency. But also resiliency and and I think just like just like our existing financial system that has evolved over time, like Dot Frank and every every regulation that's come forth has been a result of some crisis and some uh, sort of uh, you know fault that we've seen in the system. I just hope that we focus on efficiency and resiliency and not overregulate it because innovation and regulation can go hand in hand. But oftentimes we have to let that entity grow and fail. Exactly what we say about our teenage kids, we have to let them fail to learn from it. And I think if I were to draw that analogy, I think um, the crypto industry is still in its adolescence. And I think I focus on market structure, uh, which is an important part because I think it's up to the industry to find its market structure and not mimic the existing structure because then all we have done is digitized it. We haven't really uh, yeah. disrupted that industry per se, I think. So maybe touch a bit deeper on some of the, the comments you made about uh, the market structure. You, you talked about how you know, traditional finance markets work only only really work when there's adequate supply and demand for capital and the information between participants. Can you want do you want to unpack that yeah. a little bit? No, that's a great question. And I've also pondered and written about this. In fact, I'm spending more of my time as a technologist, less on technology board, but more on the structures and how does money move. So if you look at our existing modern financial market structure, essentially it's a chain of I think interconnect interconnected market participants that does two fundamental things. You accumulate capital or you form capital, and then you, you're finding investment resources. And in between that, you have liquidity, which is moving money from point A to point B. There's utilization of, so there's a utilitarian element of capital in the system, which lets the economy grow, which lets project grow, which lets you know use of capital to harness talent, harness resources. And these market participants that have a specific function, and you know 
For example, I work for State Street now. We are, there's an asset custody involvement. There's central bookkeeping. Uh, there's liquidity provisioning. There's clearing and settlement and all these functions. And each of these functions imply that you have a structure or you have a relay of, I mentioned this earlier, batch relay of system, which in, includes some element of capital constraints, some elements of regulation, which these entities are not by, by design vertically integrated, which again, to avoid concentration risk, but also to avoid collusion and unilateral investment decisions, uh, which could harm the markets in general. So each of these participants have a function and they maintain ledger, which is basically boils down to the technology element. How do we maintain assets? How do we uh, you know, keep the record of what we have on the books? So when I say a batch relay system, the transfer asset takes you know, from ledger reconciliation and information transfer between these different entities. So when I'm moving, let's say, a security and waiting for payments, this is PVP, DVP between multiple entities. Uh, it's a function of how information moves and how each of these entities reconcile, which is, again, uh, this process sort of, we have designed the system, I've been involved designing the systems in the past, uh, is each participant has to balance the books and uh, else they are penalized either by market forces or regulators that you have to have the right liquidity, which is again, where Basel III, Basel IV comes into play of what assets you have on hand, what risks you take. And this balancing act creates at some level opacity of information as the information transfer from these different market participants for a period of time, however short that may be which leads to inefficiency in terms, in my opinion, of liquidity the enterprise must maintain to factor in the delay, which has all kinds of implication costs, both in terms of opportunity, cost of capital, fees associated with it, and with the digital assets, some of these issues are resolved, right? So if you take digital assets, it's near time settlement. It's sort of moving and ability for us to lock these assets into smart contracts and provide some governance around it. It not only addresses efficiency in transaction processing, uh, but also resilient financial market infrastructure with transparency that the foundational technology, which is DLT and blockchain offer. So I, I want to like unpack at this point in, in you know, this whole structure to say, what does this structure mean? Because uh, our existing market structure has evolved over time and mm -hmm. we are digitally connected. But if we were to flatten the entire set of market participants to one single layer, well, it certainly implies disintermediation to a certain extent. But we also have to realize that what is, it, what is the implication of near real-time processing implies for things like liquidity, for things like a recording of assets, and 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 what can we benefit from it? I'll, I'll pause here, Shamas, to see if, if that makes sense. I, I think it makes perfect sense, and I would love to you know gain a question of unpacking. I mean, some of these questions when you do flatten that system, and uh, obviously the, the issues of capital potentially are much reduced if you have instant instant transfer of assets, because a lot of this is about trust for two days or whatever the period is, because. The, the processes are by definition inefficient. Why, it'd be great if you kind of describe the problem that you think the crypto is solving in the space um, versus the the, the, pro, the premise and how that intersects uh, very much what you described, how that intersects with the current state of the market. Yeah. No, and, and again, not to be the guy, I have to remind myself that oftentimes <laughs> most blockchain people are blockchain people with a hammer and everything is, is a nail that but can be solved with blockchain. <laughs> so I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But if you, were th if you were to rethink our existing financial system and technology that powers it and try to craft a system that is able to systematically address the complexity that has evolved over time. After all, the current financial system has served us well until now. Yes, it has its blips, it has its gaps and it's gone through its own share of upgrades, right? We've gone through... Uh, a series of sort of events in terms of how we modernize the payment systems, financial systems, the global financial systems is now more interconnected than ever. Uh, and I just think that that the pace at which the digital economy is growing, 
it demands a different scale, which is where I think is that disconnect, right? Else the alternative system will challenge the inefficiency of existing system with scale, speed, inefficiency, and in form of fees, cost, and fraud, which is rampant, right? And, and you can have all the measures around it is the fact that existing the digital infrastructure that is designed was really designed for movement of information. And we have used that moment of information to update our ledgers is essentially what the batch relay system was. And I think we have to think about this differently because if we did what we did, we'll always get what we got. And all the stuff that we're doing is band-aid around the system. At some point, as the populations around the world, 8 billion plus people are getting highly digitized and want to be partake in our digital and in, in our financial systems and digital economy, we have to think about this a bit differently. And so I think asset tokenization is essential not only for powering the next generation digital economy, but also paving the way for new business models, which is built upon instance economy, is the ability for us to be able to fractionalize asset. And, and so for that to happen, we have to build a trust network, which allows, for example, a farmer in Uganda or a, a middle-class teacher in India to participate in the same economic system that me and you you know, in the Western world have access to. And the only way to achieve that is to have single sort of set of rules. And if you look at, again, the thesis and the vision of Bitcoin and Ethereum-like projects that came about uh, is financial inclusion and, and egalitarian systems, that today, if you have Ether, no matter where you're in the world, you can participate with the same set of rules as long as you have access to the network and you have connectivity. Uh, the same set of rules, same set of markets, nothing changes no matter if you're in Vietnam, India, or United States. And that is kind of a profound function, but for that to actually happen in the world that we live in, which is regulated and ensuring that we are adhering to regulatory elements, all the things that we do with, deal with, with ensuring that we have the travel rule and we have some of the elements of ensuring that there's no nefarious activity happening in this ecosystem. Um, you know, so, you know, I think it's widely accepted now after almost 13, 14 years that blockchain technology lays the foundation of a trusted digital transaction network. And as a disintermediated platform, it fuels the growth of marketplaces. Like blockchain is not just a transaction system. It's also enables co-creation with different participants in the network. Suddenly now you can join a network. And yes, it could be a permission network that you can do all the due diligence and you can participate with the rules of engagement that defined by the network. But also grow, fuels the growth of secondary markets in many businesses that doesn't exist today. So it's a value exchange mechanism that we are creating. And where blockchain itself provides, at least in my opinion, the technology construct to facilitate exchange, ownership, and trust network. It's the digitization of value elements, which is where asset tokenization comes, that plays a vital role. And for that, you need few fundamental elements. You need to keep the assets safe, which is where custody comes into play. You need to take existing assets and tokenize them, which is asset tokenization projects come into play. You need a, you need a transaction layer, which is a blockchain you know, come into play. These are table stakes for any entity that wants to get into the space. And building upon that would be these various sort of ecosystems that needs to evolve. So I think this is where uh, we can coexist with the existing financial system and eventually figure out a way to tokenize existing real world assets and move them onto this newer saying one asset class at a time. Uh, and by not changing the market structure initially, but having the same players do their same function, which will flatten uh, you know, the curve, so to speak. So I'll pause here, Shamas, to see if that would make sense. No, that, that, that's great. I mean, I think what you described is probably what motivated a lot of us to get into the blockchain space or the crypto space. I mean, this is the, the, the you know, having a, a bank account on your mobile phone for anybody from, as you said, from the, the Bangladeshi farmer to someone in a developed country. Um, so what in that context, when you're talking about your flat and everything, enabling the trustless exchange, but at the same time, you have trusted participants um, potentially delivering what they do currently. What, where, where is, you know, 
what do you see as the role of, let's say, a large custodian? Let's State Street is a good example in that ecosystem. Yeah, no, no, I think there are two things, right? One is uh, trust is a currency, right? And we have to respect it. Second thing is, if you look at the ecosystem today, and this is the vision, one of the reasons why I, I took, you know, take pride in working for Straight Street, again, the, the vision around what we're trying to build. So again, you have this massive $470 plus trillion worth of existing asset classes. These yeah. are the traditional asset classes that still exist and trapped in various ledgers around the world. I think there's a massive Herculean effort that the industry could partake, whether, let's say, we tokenize commodities, we tokenize ETFs, corporate bonds. Um, so there's a whole effort that we can do to modernize the financial system while the crypto industry is still evolving and it's finding its path and finding the economic system. So I see them as parallel paths where crypto industry is defining its ecosystem, its own sort of market structures as, as it moves forward. So someone like a custodian, I think both in terms of, again, technology as product, product, product as technology, is with technology first approach, understand those elements and build a common infrastructure that if we are embarking on a path where we are tokenizing real world assets, what is the infrastructure needed for that, right? Mm -hmm. What services can we provide in leading, in being again, being the mid office and back office for the industry, which is such a critical function that powers the entire industry from the front. Uh, what can we do to provide some of those services, which will not only modernize, but but change the, the way industry functions and have a truly global perspective, which most financial, most global financial institutions like us, us do anyway. Of course, there are challenges, both in terms of talent, technology gaps, and massive regulatory elements. So taking the trust currency that we have is modernizing that, having a forward-looking perspective, and focusing on that, what I call middle tier. So I use the word middle tier because, of course, you have the far left, which is crypto, changing the world as we know it. Uh, and it may it may be a fifth asset class, which we've been discussing this already, that it may have its own value structures, it may be a completely revolutionized the way people consume, both in terms of it as a currency, but also it as an asset class. And again, I will not muddy the water more with bringing in Metaverse and NFT, which has its own sort of uh, stream that we can talk about. But uh, But I think that, and then you have business as usual, which is serving these new industries, which is again, the newer hedge funds, the newer sort of market participants, the newer ETFs which are relying upon this uh, fifth asset class to provide a new the, the exposure through traditional offerings. This is again, the Bitcoin ETFs and the futures and everything else, which provide the, not just the institutional investors, but the common folks who understand the space, who understand finance from what we know today. And then you have the middle of the ground. So you have far left, far right, traditional business, crypto. Middle, I think, is a swim lane that is attractive, that we should commit our time and eventually the idea is that, you know, if if we deal in this world, not only you're sort of creating the right modernized infrastructure, but you're also building larger markets because now you have the ability enabling the various other, uh, you know, market participants to fractionalize the asset and create a, create larger market pools, create larger liquidity and have some level of accountability and, and mobility of these assets globally uh, with a regulated mindset, with a lens that ensures that we are following the regulation in both endpoints between the corridors that we operate in. I think that's the path that 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 we should look into, which will, I think, exponentially progress the industry. It may take a decade only because of the complexity and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of accountability and a lot of things that we have to change. But the vision is there, right? So we just ensure that we have to execute and understand the technical imperatives to get to that stage. And again, within the within the confines of regulation, within the confines of of ensuring we're doing the right things by, you know, by the book. I mean, you describe a very exciting future. I mean, it's more than just obviously a 
efficiency process. It's not just about technology to yeah. reduce costs. Basically, you're unlocking potentially something much larger. I mean, the way we've electronified and mobilized securities created a much larger yeah. security market, electronification, same thing. You see that obviously clearly as another another stage of uh, explosive growth, potentially, it sounds like. Sure. Um, now, now, you touched a bit about you know the required infrastructure. You know, where where is State Street in that in that journey? Because uh, obviously the infrastructure for the old world is not necessarily the same as this infrastructure in the new world. And what you know, you've been deeply involved in infrastructure from IBM days. How, yeah. Environments in that space. Yeah, and I broadly classify this into you know I, I I've tried this in in many of my my pursuits in the past. Is one way is it's a humongous industry, and there's so many narratives that are going on, and I have to simplify this. So I went down the path of simplification of this to say, I, I characterize this entire industry by three eyes. One is the infrastructure, which is all the bare bones we need, the DLT for transaction platforms, whether we connect to one or create one for uh, quasi open ecosystem or closed ecosystems. Uh, you need asset tokenization, which is an ability for us to convert the existing asset classes in some form or fashion, whether there's paper, paper driven assets or demetalized assets into tokenized assets. And then you need to safeguard these assets for custody purposes, which is digital asset custody and everything surrounding it, whether it's audit functions or whether it's market data functions, which is the traditional function that the industry has provided. So you need all that as infrastructure, including hosting nodes to connect to the crypto, which is the fifth asset class. So all that is part of the infrastructure we need to have. Uh, our perspective around the various technologies to keep safeguard these things, because crypto is such an integral part of the entire space. So things like HSMs, NPCs, what we need to do for keeping the keys safe, what do we need to do ensure, ensuring that we have the right processing infrastructure in meeting the SLAs for transaction processing perspective. And then you have the instruments, you know, uh, which is an interesting part. And I've always focused this, that a token is a token is a token, but a token can represent a real estate asset, a token can represent a gold, a gold instrument token can represent a mortgage-backed security, and you have and 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 the count continues, right? With with various different assets, you know, asset classes. So how do we ensure that while we build the infrastructure, we have uh, defined swim lanes to address these different instruments in a regulated and compliant manner? Because each of assets each have different regulatory focus, they have different reporting requirements, they have different characteristics of how these assets behave, who are the market participants for that asset. So those are the the focus that you bring in terms of that is the business, right? So whether it's private equity or whether it's, you know, and that instrument sort of brings that focus back and saying, how do we utilize the infrastructure that's pertinent to that instrument, both in terms of regulatory and compliance, but also an operational framework needed to service that instrument. And the third eye is insights, which to me drives everything, which is data. How do we exploit the data? How do we ensure that not just for business purposes, but to gain competitive advantage? Uh, which is what ex exactly now the market data providers in the field, and we are partnering with some of them, are doing is not only providing market data for us to be able to make the decisions around risk and opportunities, but also you need enough data to, in to drive insights in terms of uh, the patterns that the industry is morphing in towards. Uh, and I think that becomes a challenge because as you tokenize the asset, as the transaction patterns move towards a more real-time uh, models, again, uh, you're not getting data from five different forces because the, the the ledger is trapped. You're suddenly going after a much more flat infrastructure. The veracity and velocity of data exponentially increases. So what is the compute framework do we have, do we need to compute the data and apply the AI and machine learning models to make sense of it? So these are, to me, opportunities and challenges from what I think any financial enterprise need to build. And that's the perspective I'm bringing uh, you know, to, to the industry, if that makes sense. 
it makes total sense and it's a great explanation of the complexity of kind of let's say the the full circle of technology needs to support this and you've also talked about uh, you know state streets the trust it brings because if you're going to bridge the assets the traditional assets in this new world there's clearly a, a bridging that trust is a key element which uh, i think you're very well positioned to do but you know tokenization i think you've talked about it before the supply and um, the the supply and demand of capital it's it's very much a chicken and egg tokenization. You need secondary liquid secondary markets. You need quality issuers. So where do you start to bootstrap this? I mean, how does that, how does that actually? Is there an asset classes that are that are low hanging fruit, or is there is there particular ways to do that that really get the, these the, the tokenization become a reality? Yeah. So I think to me, I find a lot of white space in the area as I'm learning and as I'm engaging in in these areas. Right. Of course. Uh, you know, and we had done this matrix analysis in terms of breaking down the entire capital market, you know, capital market structure, okay. finding different roles, different participants, different asset, asset classes, and looking into the things that have process complexity becomes enormously hard to right. tokenize, right? And which means that, you, again, we're not changing the market structure. We are going towards modernization of the market infrastructure, two different things, right? So if you don't change the market structure, process complexity implies now, suddenly now, you need to have the same same processing for tokenized assets as well as the digitalized assets that we discussed, the differentiation between the two. I think that areas like private markets and capital formation are right. One, uh, it's a lot of white space that suddenly now that if I want, to op I want to open a company, I want to have key offerings, I don't want to go to the expensive IPO process. I can go into any of these areas to, you know, again, issue my securities and my cap table with a transfer agent, go to an ATS. And these are the smaller markets. I think some of those are ripe uh, for the industry. And as you know, and as I evaluate and look at this, that private markets are growing exponentially much faster than in many cases, the traditional securities and equities world that we operate in. But also I think uh, it's 4X for my last sort of research and count. I think those are ripe areas uh, for us to engage in. Uh, you know, it, it has uh, a fairly, fluid uh, sort of structure in terms of who the players are and you have new players coming in and leaving. But I think in many cases, um, it, it's right because every time you have a capital formation, you have new entities coming in. And as the industry goes towards creating new entrepreneurs, creating new ideas, creating new products, there's a constant flow of, of entities coming in for capital formation requirements. I think some of those are, are ripe. I think payments is ripe. You know, I think in many cases, cross-border movement of money has always been a challenge. And I can tell you this, that there are thousands of companies. You can drop a you know, stone in a pond and there'll be a payment company trying to solve that problem for you in, <laughs> in the entire spectrum of payment of, you know, of, of entities. So I think some of these are, are, are quite ripe. And that's why I think the emergence of stablecoin for payments, uh, many companies trying to address the capital formation area have emerged uh, because they seem to be the fact that you know, we can address that problem and eventually uh, you know, as everything else, uh, success breeds success, that you have successful markets. Yep. Next thing you know, you, you begin to replicate those. And I think that's when exactly what happened with internet. It took almost eight to 10 years for it to evolve. Next thing you know, we were buying tickets. We were going to airlines. We were, because you closed the information gap. Exactly. Uh, and we had the protocols to ensure you have some semblance of security, which I think now we know uh, that is not the case. But back in the day, it was that you could do banking, you could do all these different areas. And I think we need to shift that mindset from a information-based protocols to a uh, sort of asset-based protocol that DLT brings forward. Well, that's very good. I want to touch on, we have one last question because we're almost running out of time. You've talk, talked about, you know, not, not changing structure, but changing, you know, modernizing infrastructure. So how do you look at the impact of DeFi? You know, is, do you see a role for things like embedded custody there? Is that is that a new 
Is that an actual new structure or is that just, again, the changing infrastructure? That's, that's a super interesting question, Thomas. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> And my thinking, and this is the worldview of Nitin, and, and I should uh, I should clarify this is my opinion, not another of my employer is, is um, the fact that I think that my vision is eventually if you tokenize all the asset classes, the ability for me to take my ETF, collateralize on a lending protocol, borrow stable coins or borrow bitcoins, mm. uh, I think is where we would find the true bridging of existing world and the new world, and that becomes super interesting. DeFi by design are meant to change market structures. DeFi by design are meant to be open, decentralized finance. And decentralized financing also has, in my last count, six categories. You have AMMs, the automated market makers, you have liquidity providers, you have lending pools. So you have different category, categories, which to me is forming its own market structure. Definitely. You can borrow from one pool, you can lend from another pool, you can get a stable coin, you can do all kinds of interesting things in that space. And the democratization of DeFi is also implied because again, if you have an ether, Suddenly, you can, no matter where you're in the world, you can go to these, these pools and collateralize these assets and borrow against this. And all the financial primitives that go with traditional asset classes already exist. So the way I'm viewing this is the DeFi protocols prevent interesting. And there, again, that market structure is evolving. And this is where I think that and that market structure sits on the DLT infrastructure. That has to spend some more time in terms of digital identity that needs to be addressed, security protocols that need to be addressed, privacy protection that needs to be addressed, which means you still need to have those layers for them to truly flourish and become part of mainstream. And I think a lot of protocols, a lot of projects are working on that. Front. And to me, that's that's really exciting. And I, I wish that 10 years from now, when me and you are sipping a beer or having this follow-up in Metaco Talks uh, 3033, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we should be able to have this conversation. Hey, I took my ETF and I was able to collateralize this on let's say an Aave protocol and borrow against it. I think it'll be a fantastic story. Well, there's there's a lot of exciting experimentation in breath on the bank. So hopefully that's before the episode 3000 uh, XXX. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have you on before that, I'm sure. Nidin, it's been sure. it's been super to have you here. It's very Thank you. a lot of really exciting insights and and thanks for your time. And uh we will have you on again. So yeah. congrats thanks so much. Day three. Thanks, thanks for the invitation and thanks again. So to everybody, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoyed the episode. And until next time, don't forget, we'll up the, upload the recording and script of today's episode of metaco.com slash talks and available on, on all your favorite uh, podcast channels. Thanks again. Great weekend, everybody.